Welcome to the Beach and Black Podcast, an award-winning, unofficial podcast on Prince. For over 10 years, giving you Prince news, reviews, trivia, and all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the host, Rob S. I think the craziest thing that's happened is when Prince invited me and Captain to meet with him in New York in 2010. Captain. Anytime Prince gets on the guitar and he starts getting up near that top fret, just get ready to blow your head off. Player. Oh my god, that's the Minneapolis sound right there. Toe Jam. There's just layers and layers of stuff going on in his music all the time in every speaker. Find Peach and Black on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. This is Tommy Young. Hi, this is Larry Graham. This is Mr. Hayes. And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast, baby. Now over to our host, Rob S. Hello, 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 and welcome back once again to the Peach and Black podcast. We are live. Well, we recorded this earlier and you're listening to it now. This is the Peach and Black show. And right now I'm about to introduce the Peach and Black panel from left to right, as always, player. And your rubber tatas. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> and Captain. We are literally in the future right now. <laughs> Very interesting. Very strange intro. And it's Rob S, me in the place to be, as always. MC. With the other three. This is the Peach and Black Podcast. It is our non-album tracks volume five episode. I just want to say one thing. The interesting thing about these tracks we're going to talk about now, all of these tracks, except for a bit of backing vocals and horns, obviously, these songs are pretty much all one-man band performances, and they're all from totally different eras. Wow. So that's something interesting. Very interesting. And uh, as always with our non-album tracks episodes, each of us has selected one non-album song, piece of music, whatever you want to call it, that we want to talk about. And we're going to go straight into things with Toe Jam opening up the proceedings. Tell us what your song is, why you chose it, and start babbling about it. Go. <laughs> All right. So the song I am choosing was released in 2013. Um, now, Prince Vault says it was recorded in 2012, but I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. I, have, I think mm. it might be recorded a little bit earlier. So the song I've chosen is called I Ain't Gonna Miss You. When You Gone. When You Gone. I ain't going to miss you when you're gone. Um, so like I said, released on the Third Eye Girl website or one of those Third Eye Girl things that was happening around that time, featuring Ladisi, who did some work with Prince a few times here and there from 2007-ish. And um, that's what that's one of the things that makes me think this is recorded in 2007. I think her vocals recorded then. The other reason it makes me think that as well is that it's got that skippy kind of musicology uh, remix kind of beat to it. Like uh, it's a swinging kind of beat, starts and stops. It's lots of pops. There's extra kick drums. There's all these sort of drips and drops effects. And it really kind of reminds me of the way they were doing musicology live from about the Planet Earth tour onwards. Like it sort of moved away from that more soul groove and it sort of became more of like this skippy, I don't want to say synthy kind of thing, but it was a bit more in that direction from the Planet Earth tour onwards. So that's why I think it was recorded from 2007. But I mean, obviously, he probably did some more work on that later on. Uh, so my favorite thing of the song is just that beat. It's just really skippy. And it just it reminds me when I when I hear it, the image I have in my head is the Welcome to Australia tour 
in Melbourne, being up really close, watching him dance to the musicology song. Because that was a kind of synthy version as well. And he's doing all the James Brown moves and all this kind of stuff. And that's just the image I get when I hear that beat. You've got this classic chorus like splatter on beat one. I ain't gonna miss you. You know, they've got all the backing vocals just hitting that ain't on beat one. I ain't gonna miss you. So that's really cool. Very classic prints there. There's lots of um, background pitch changed effects going on. Sometimes it's pitched really low. Sometimes it's pitched really high. What do you call them? Uh, like uh, vocal groups sort of singing these little bits of it all around the place. Um, one lyric in there that I think is kind of funny, which is a reference to the song. I bet you think this song is about you. You know, he's so vain. The funny thing about that lyric in this song and the original song that it's referencing is like, yeah, the song is about you. Like, I, I never get that. You know, I bet you think this song is about you. Yes, the song is about you. I'm sorry, it is. <laughs> Same with this one. <laughs> it is about the person who he's saying he's not going to miss. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bit of a mix between fake horns and real horns. The real horns come in more prominently about 3.15 and it just sounds so much better when they do. And I just wish the whole song was like that instead of those fake synthy kind of horns. All right, so the big question is, is this song about Tamar? And that's another reason why I think it's from 2007 as well. You know, Ladisi came in effectively replacing Tamar for that um, Coachella show, a few things around that time. Although I guess technically Shelby J replaced Tamar, but Ladisi was brought in as well around the same time. And there's a weird lyric where he think he's going to say the word never mind, like, you know, never mind, I'm moving on. But he says never ma. And I just think, is that supposed to be like some reference to Tamar? I don't know. It's just, it's very odd. Um Controversy. I mean, even even the lyric itself, I mean, Prince is kind of known for like, you know, he moves forward. So like you're in the band for three or four years. He's your best friend for three or four years. And then suddenly you're out <laughs> and, you know, Prince has moved on. He ain't going to miss you. Like, you know, he's just moving on. So that's kind of cool that he writes a song about that sort of thing about his personality, I guess. So, I mean, I really like the song. It's very skippy. It's fun to listen to. It's very cleanly recorded. Maybe a little bit too sterile. Too in some, clean. In some yes. A little bit. Yeah, that beats a bit. Could have a bit, bit more reverb on it, a bit more live drums or something. But it's a very interesting song. Lots going on. Good headphone listen. Maybe goes a couple of minutes too long. Kind of gets a bit repetitive towards the end. But it's a, it's a really good one. And it's um, a bit of a rarity in the respect that you didn't really get these sort of classic prints. Um, it's not a B-side technically, but it's, it reminds me of that B-side era. You know, it's a full song. It's its own song song but it sort of has references to other songs in there and it's not like a, a remix of something it's not like a sort of a throwaway song it's a full song that just never got onto an album so i like it in that respect so that's my review of i ain't gonna miss you okay toe jam uh introduced the first track let's go around the room get some oh, thoughts sorry. from the other so can, can i um can i add something i can't believe i didn't you had realize this. you had your time <laughs> oh no Go so, i gotta Go say ahead. it i mean when those real horns come in it's the horn heads you know and it is, yeah, yeah it's good for them to be back like they did come back for a few recordings around this time there's another song that was released around that time i forget i think it's boyfriend i think that's what it was called they also had oh, the yeah. um, npg horns like there's a few songs from those last few years that had the original np horns back and those guys are legends all right all right very worthwhile mention to the horn heads all right let's take this around the room around the virtual room player what are your Thoughts, memories of this song? Yeah, the first thing I've got in my notes is Hornhead. So big acknowledgement to those guys, which is interesting because in the Third Eye Girl era, like I really associated the horns with what was called the MPG horns with all the guys that he had like from 2012 onwards. But like Tojan Center, you kind of use a mix of the MPG horns and Hornhead. So could you imagine a 50 year old Kathy Jensen doing dances like those guys <laughs> 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 with the baritones? <laughs> 
<laughs> that I'd like to see. Yeah, I'm kind of torn about how to review this because when the song first came out, I can remember the feeling. And when it came out, I saw this as one of his one-dimensional throwaway grooves, like a non-album track that he used to throw out all the time on the internet. And I just thought, ah, oh, this is just another one of those kind of songs. But over time, I really dig it. It's not like a masterpiece or anything, but I just get an enjoyment out of it that I didn't get upon the first time I heard it. I really love the lyrics. They really resonate with me at this point in my life. It has a good groove, but it's very minimalist. I think he was going for that kind of kiss vibe, you know, just kind of like Jam was saying, like a skippy beat. Kiss has a bit of that as well. Kind of that accenting and, with the yeah. with the keyboards. And know. a bit of black sweat as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, in terms of you guys were saying too clean of recording, it's, it, yeah, it's more in line with that black sweat kind of production value. But yeah, it's not like the greatest song on that he's ever done. But I think it's um, over time, it's it's kind of grown on me a bit. Uh, all in all, I like this song. Now, player, I'm not going to let you get away with this. We very rarely talk about lyrics, but you mentioned that the lyrics of the theme of the song is in some way you kind of identify with it or at least can kind of get the feeling. Yeah, it's good. Are you happy to uh, expand on that or elaborate? Uh, let's move on to the next person. <laughs> <laughs> the person on player's side shall remain unnamed for this episode. Captain, what about you? Are you thinking of someone or is this, uh, what's going on here? What are your thoughts? Oh, let's go. So yeah, you got Ladisi on backing vocals, uh, horn arrangements by Prince and Michael B. Nelson. So that's interesting. It wasn't just Michael B. Nelson. They sat there together? No, I, I take that as Prince doing the synth horns. And Michael Nelson doing the real horns. That, that's the way I take it. That makes sense because there's fake horns too. I wonder if they recorded those synth parts and then Prince is like, no, no, I like the sound of the synthy ones, which I don't know. Mm. I can't imagine why he would think that. But. <laughs> Maybe uh, Prince peed on it and then Michael B. <laughs> Nelson peed on it as well. That's it. This is a weird song for me. I mean, it's like Player said, it's not bad, but it's not really good either. It's very plastic sounding. Yeah, it, that's it's, true. Um, it is very sterile and clean, except the horns, which make a few random appearances here and there, which sound good. Everything else is just all digital and, yeah, it doesn't sound great to me. And at six minutes long, it gets pretty tiring for me about halfway through. The song itself, the chorus is okay, but the verses really just seem to be there to fill in time until the next chorus. There's like mm. not much to it. Um, there's loads of just random synth stuff and different keyboard sounds, these stabby little harpsichord sounding things and just weird little sounds. The best thing about this track for me is the horns, but their parts are pretty short and just they're not even that often. They're just they're here and then they're not there for like a minute and then they come back. It's a cool little bass guitar part, 239, that comes and goes. That's cool. But I just, I don't get what this track is supposed to be doing. I don't know what the point of it is. Like, apart from that main lyric, I think he just had this one title and he's like, that's that's a song. And then he just tried to fit a song around this one title. And this, I think this song could really do with just a smashing edit, get it down to like three minutes, just keep the essential stuff, not all the random keyboard stuff and synth. It just pads the track out to fill time. But it's okay. That's all I can say. Now it's time for MC. Who? Uh, so basically, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of agree with Captain on this. It's not like it's okay. It's just a song. We haven't said that for a while, have we? And it's certainly not my catchphrase, but I'll use it. <laughs> I don't know about this. I just there's not a whole lot that is particularly memorable about it for me. And the only redeeming features of this track 
when I listen to it is what all of you guys have said, which is the horns. I think if you really stripped the horns away, both the fake and the real ones, this song is more an idea. Oh, I think what you'd be left yeah. with is more of an idea rather than a full-on track. And Well, maybe Prince thought that too. That's why he just threw it out as a random track on a website instead of specifically placed on an album with all the other great songs. It's just like, ah, oh, this is just a thing I did. Yeah, that would make sense because... Uh, the best way to summarize it for me is it's not just not memorable enough. The other thing is it's got that really weird start stop. I was going to say groove, but it's actually more of a a start stop rhythm with the not just the groove, but with the vocals. Like the singing is kind of like silence, and it's kind of that sort of approach to putting a song together can work. If it's done really well and if the song's memorable, but because the song isn't, it's kind of throwaway for me. A part of this was played at one of the Montreux shows I saw in 2013, but they didn't do the full song. It was only like about a minute or so. It was like the intro, maybe a couple of verses, and then they moved into another track, which was, I think, Funk, F-U-N-K. Yeah, this is kind of not really doing it for me. I hate to be a downer, but... It's it's and the thing is this it's not a terrible track it's just one of those middle of the road things that Prince could do in the studio but I'll finish on this which is if someone else in the R&B funk genre put this together I think this would be good enough for an like as an album track for another artist without a doubt I mean if you put this on any R&B album any funk R&B album any pop funk R&B album It'd be perfectly fine. I just think that for him, his standards are so high, at least in our eyes, that it's kind of like doesn't really do much, doesn't really go anywhere. But it's okay. So, yeah. We're not going to miss this track when it's gone. (laughs) That's a great conclusion. Conclusion (laughs) to this review. Uh, And, uh, yeah, and and the mystery mystery of who this song is about will forever continue. Mm. Oh, that was interesting because like Toe Jam said that, but I I never even thought about anything like that, who it was about or anything. So that's interesting. It wouldn't be the first song is he possibly written about Tamar. I guess if it is about Tamar, he wrote guitar possibly about Tamar and then he's writing this one about Tamar. It's like he was, I don't know. <laughs> Which makes sense if you think this song was from six or so years earlier, that would make a bit of sense. 2006 or seven, yeah. That would make more sense why the MPG horns were on it and not all the other horn guys that he had in 2012 and 13. No, but he was doing recordings with those the MPG horns in around about 2012. I remember that. Uh, all right, well, let's not spread too many false rumours. <laughs> Who knows what this bloody song is about. Uh, and remember, Ladisi's on there, so maybe she knows something. We don't. But anyway, let's move on to the next track, which is Glass Cutter. Glass cutter. And I'm going to school, so fine, you want to shoot up. Just like but I hold a couple glass cutter. Glass cutter. Oh, that's me. Okay. That's you. So, <laughs> I, uh, Good to see you switched on tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am. I'm ready. All right. Let me just get out my notes. So uh, you guys can help me out on this one and fill in the details if you want, but uh, I've got plenty of things we're going to have to. Plenty to say about it. I uh, am a massive fan of this track. I love it, actually. And uh, that's not the only reason why I chose it. In fact, it might have just been thrown my way as a bit of a leftover piece of material that was lying around on the Peach and Black podcast cutting room floor. I picked this one up because I'm a genuine fan. Like this track, I think, could fit easily on 
a musicology album, and in fact, it does fit on my resequenced version of musicology album. <laughs> so I'll put it on there. But it's also good enough and strong enough, I think, with a bit more production and leveling out and just mixing, really. Let me just add the one problem with this track is I think the highest bit rate it was released in was 96 kbs mp3, which is pretty bad. Yeah, that's not it's great. It's pretty bad quality. I that, don't so. know about that. I'm pretty sure it was a bit higher, was, I think, though. It was released as that originally, but I'm sure they released an actual proper MP3 like a few months later. They did? Yeah. I, well, it came out as a digital single in uh, April 2005. Yeah, they actually released it as a single. So, I yeah, mean, the streams. You could buy it yeah. on iTunes or something. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh. So, the, the one that I saw was. Okay. Or have, I should say. The one that I have is, I think, at least 256. It might even be 320. So, it's actually not that bad sound. <laughs> okay. So, um, back to the song. Yeah. So, it came out as a digital single in, as I said, April 2005. And basically, there was a demo version of this song released a year before. But to me, the digital single still sounds like a bit of a, maybe not a demo version, but it's just still not different enough for me to be um, considered a fully completed track for whatever reason. But it does fit very well on Musicology right after the title track for anyone listening who wants to know where I put this. My Musicology album version goes from Musicology to Glass Cutter to Million Days, and then you'll have to ask me for the rest of the list on Twitter or something, and I'll, I'll give it up. You can hear me fending people off as we speak. Typing away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's that. Okay, back to the song. I think this is a pretty remarkable piece of music because Prince did everything on it. And to Captain's earlier point about most of these songs outside of the embellishments are pretty much Prince one-man band jams or performances. This is one of the better examples of his playing on all instruments. And it's kind of crazy because... The song itself is not remarkable. Like it's not the best thing since sliced bread. It's not some incredible masterpiece. But when you listen to it, or at least when I listen to it, and like I did for this review, listen to it on repeat, every time I heard the track, I would listen to specific instruments. So the first time I was just focusing on the bass for like four and a half minutes. Then I would focus on the synths and the keys. Then I would focus on the guitar, then on the drums, then on just Prince's vocals and all that kind of craziness. And what I came to realize was that this may be one of the greatest examples in his entire discography in one song where he kind of shows off on every instrument. Like this is a super showcase of him as a bass player. He's doing bass licks, bass runs. He's doing bass pops. He's using the bass just typically as a rhythm, uh, a rhythm instrument and, and literally as a bass, uh, you know, keeping the, the bass of the music flowing at the bottom end. So it's fantastic from that perspective. But then you've got his guitar playing. And around this time, 04-ish onwards, he really started to, I don't know what it was, but he seemed to pick up the guitar again with a lot of gusto. And he's using some cool effects and pedals, but his runs on the fret are just super quick, super smooth, a lot of feeling in his playing. Yes, some of it is Santana-esque. Some of it might be a bit Vi-ish, Steve Vai, that is. But it's all at its core very princish around the musicology tour era. So whenever I hear his guitar playing, that's another thing I like about this. It just kind of reminds me of that whole era of musicology tour and that kind of stuff. What else can I say? So that those are those two instruments. But then the keys, he's got this really interesting way of incorporating the synth element in this track where sometimes it sounds funky and then other times it sounds more like a B-52s track or like almost Blondie-esque in some regards, maybe. It's just really cool, really airy, really breathy. 
And if you listen to his work on some of the key solos here, you would think, man, this is like some super whiz kid session musician, you know, but like proper quality. And he's doing this in his sleep because allegedly he recorded this song in one night, overnight, or at least the basic tracks for it because he was inspired by something, which I'm about to get to later. But, you know, that's the keys. And the drums, this is one of the greatest drum examples of Prince's drumming ability. And I say that because he does so many different things on the kit from the beginning of the track right until the end. You know, he's got, he plays a groove, he plays fills, keeps time perfectly. It's just really, really awesome to hear that. And then you just kind of, it's mind-blowing because even though we know he's a multi-instrumentalist, the way that he puts it all together because of his talents as an arranger, it just takes it to the next level. And if this song was maybe a better piece of music, that would completely blow my brain out and fry it and I'd be, never be the same again. But even with a decent track like this, it's, it's good enough. His instrumental prowess, that's, I guess, what I love about this song the most. Well, we can't not mention the lyrics, at least I can't. This is the part that is at once great and terrible. So I think the title is awesome. I think there are some cool lyrics, but there's only a few of them. And for the most part, the lyricism is pretty... About as hard as Arabian math? (laughs) It's about as hard as Arabian math to explain. Like there's a great line, like the opening line, where he talks about dressed like butter, holding a couple of glass cutter. And glass cutter, for anyone interested, refers to a part of the female anatomy above the waist but below the neck. That's about all I'll say. So that's kind of cool. So sharp, now a brother heart flutter flutter. He's got all these little things that he does, you know, rhyming words. But you get the the feeling, you know, the guy's checking some some woman out and he's thinking, oh, okay. Something's happening here. It's cold in Minneapolis, right? So that that sort of stuff is funny. It's it's a bit playful. And the greatest line in the song, I should say, before I move on to some of the cringeworthy moments, is the towel unraveled and it looks like gravel. All a brother can do is just laugh. I love that line, especially the line about the towel unraveled and it looks like gravel. Get that picture out of your mind. Or into it, depending on, on your per- personal preference. But then, and I'm going to read it almost in full. This about a mother... Got a brother sprung. I looked up the word heaven, saw a picture of her tongue. If she was a song, she'd be sung. Instead of rhyming, I'd be a singer so I could something, something, parmesan, cheddar cheese. Please, you better believe she gets what she wants. And the classic unforgettable line, I'm a new car. She's a lot, a whole lot of woman. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm a new car. She's a lot which obviously refers to like a parking lot. And then he thinks, what can I, how can I use the word lot? Oh, a whole lot of woman. That's the way he finishes that paragraph. I just think that's pretty piss poor to use an Australian (laughs) phrase. Like he's got some cool. I kind of like that. I I actually had in my notes, I like that verse. I think it's kind of sort of rapsed it. It's kind of skippy. It's it's good. (laughs) Uh, Skippy. Yeah. Well, it's, I wish. Parmesan cheddar cheese, please. (laughs) You're an easy man to please, Toejam. But for every line that's decent and kind of funny and off the cuff and um, kind of playful, there's that kind of stuff. I'm a new car. She's a lot, a whole lot of women. Now, Prince at some point, I believe when we had Morris Hayes on, on our podcast when we interviewed him, he said something like Prince wanted to be considered like a poet. He wanted his lyricism to stand toe-to-toe with the greats. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that this is the best example and this is the best he can do. But what I am saying is that when he did this sort of throwaway material, he, his lyricism really was not that 
fantastic. And you kind of look at it and you go, all right. I mean, he did record this in one night. So he probably just thought of what was on his mind at the time. But I just have a feeling that maybe this is the sort of song he could come back to. And it's a shame that he didn't come back to and rewrite and make it a little bit more of like a classic, more of like a classic track, because I think the lyrics let it down. And speaking of the lyrics, I'll finish on what inspired this track for anyone that doesn't know. It's a funny story, but I'll just give you the short version of it. So basically, Ruth Azate, who was at Paisley at the time, during the musicology tour, they were on a break from the tour at some point. And it was basically cold, cold, cold winter in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And one evening, Ruth was on the phone, presumably at Paisley Park, talking to someone, and she made the remark... And I quote, it's so cold here, my nipples could cut glass. The next day, and this is Ruth's statement, she walks into Studio A at Paisley and Prince is playing a new song entitled Glass Cutter. And Ruth basically said, you, I'll take the expletives out of it. But she basically said, we need to put a cowbell on you. This is ridiculous because he's obviously creeping up on people, listening to them. <laughs> Or maybe he was just passing by and heard the phrase. But he took that turn of phrase and he created a song out of it. I just thought that was really, really funny. And uh, I could imagine Ruth, anytime she hears this song, is probably thinking of that memory. But uh, when I think of it, I just think of Prince as a multi-instrumentalist and God is good. And uh, yeah, speaking of ain't gonna miss you when you're gone, I, I miss this little funky brother. I'll tell you that much because this is the kind of stuff that uh, made me fall in love with his music in the first place. So there you go. Glass Cutter, Prince, 2004. Let me just add one problem I noticed with that story is Musicology Tour was finished uh, like April to September, mm. which ran through the summer. So there was no winter anywhere near the Musicology Tour. Interesting. And maybe it was just a cold day, but it probably <laughs> wasn't winter. Or it might yeah. have been in winter and not anything to do with the Musicology Tour because winter there is Christmas. So Interesting. Anyway. Yeah. So someone has a hazy memory there, but doesn't matter. Hmm. Yes, because this was the first song recorded after the Musicology Tour, right? As soon as he went back to Paisley Park, this was like one of the first or the first song. So yeah, yeah it was I think like September, October 2004 yeah. after the tour. Well, I was yeah. about to say, and it would have been getting cold. Was, I think it was recorded in October, but you have to remember Minneapolis is cold by then anyway. So it's not yeah. like the middle of winter, but it is getting cool. So, yeah, very interesting. Oh, I'll just finish on this. Prior to hearing this song, I had no idea what glass cutter meant. I had never heard the term. Mm, I, <laughs> I was like, what the heck? Glass cutter? What could this be about? And, um, yeah. Box cutter? Yeah, <laughs> box cutter. <laughs> oh, God. God. Player, what do you think about this track? Yeah, I like this track. I like the organic rawness of this song, you know, referencing a fine woman, I guess. I like the beat, I like the tempo, I like the guitar, I like the bass, I like the production. It's all a bit dirty. And, you know, you contrast this with the previous track we just reviewed and just in the production value, you can really notice a difference. At 122, um, it opens up, it stretches out with the hand claps and the organ solo gets really interesting and that happens again around the two-minute mark. And at 220, there's a guitar solo. Like you're saying, MC is kind of showing off and showing all his talents and keeping the groove. 3.30 onwards, the guitar in the background's really cool. But I have to agree with you, MC, as cool as it is, it's a shame it wasn't worked on a little bit more for an album release because it's kind of on its way there, but not really. And I think it's worthy of, a, of an album inclusion somewhere, but it just kind of just needs a little bit more work on it. Hmm. I guess 
for me, it's just a bit still too demo-y. But um, I kind of agree with you with the lyrics. In, in parts, it is a bit clumsy. So maybe, like, I don't know, maybe he was just knocking this out just to get it out there or maybe he had some stumbling blocks like trying to make things rhyme i don't know but all in all i think it's a good track it's it's enjoyable to listen to i was i was gonna say maybe he left it off musicology because it was dirty but clearly he left it off musicology because it was recorded after musicology was released exactly but yeah i mean he you're right it's never appeared on any album it was only released as a single and uh yeah a bit of a shame i mean i think just before i take this to uh captain or toe jam one other thing that I forgot to mention, and it wasn't in my notes, but I was thinking about it when I was listening to the track recently, was I think maybe one of the reasons why it wasn't on on an album like Lotus Flower was because it was too close to something like Wall of Berlin. I listened to those two songs back to back, and there are instrumental parts that are very similar. Ah, uh, yeah, there is, yeah. Exactly. So uh, I'm not suggesting that he didn't put this on Lotus Flower because it sounded too similar to that song, but... I certainly didn't put it on my resequenced version of. Uh, this is just going to confuse everyone. Don't worry. I'll leave that for another show. Uh, back to this song. <laughs> back to this song and less resequencing from me, uh, Mister Toe Jam. Uh, yeah, I remember um, downloading this. I remember hearing it for the first time, and I remember specifically thinking, like, "Oh, this is like the first single like since Musicology. It's the new thing. Musicology's finished, and this is the new thing." And I really like the first few minutes. I think it's great. I don't think it ends very well. Um, I'll get to that. There's a little, I, I swear I hear Larry Graham at the very beginning going, right at the very beginning. So I, I do wonder if Larry Graham is possibly. Nah, I, rec- I reckon it's Sonny. I reckon it's Sonny. Sonny? What's he doing I've heard Sonny, Sonny's laugh a lot and I, I have a strong suspicion it's him. Interesting. I, I hear Larry. Anyway, the thing about... I didn't notice it until really listening today, comparing it with the other tracks we're, we're listening to. And it, this song, it's not mastered. It's kind of muddy. It's kind of bassy. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the mix. I feel like the guitar solo could be brought up a bit more and other things are a bit loud that I'd turn down and this sort of thing. That sort of adds to this demo-y, not finished kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, sonically, it reminds me of Cyber Single, like the drums especially, like the sound of those drums. It sounds like um, his drums sound at this time was kind of the toms and the snare. They weren't very tight. They were kind of loose, which is kind of cool. Um, so I like the sound of the drums. I had here great lyrics in the second or third verse, but MC says no, but we've gone through that. <laughs> um, I do agree with MC, the organ solo. There's one organ solo that's just great, and it's got you can tell it's Prince because he's got that class. There's a certain line that he does, and the moment I hear that line, I'm like, that's Prince. That's a really good solo, killing it, knocking it out on the organ. Uh, the guitar solo as well at 220, awesome stuff, guitar solo. I just wish it was louder in the mix, and I just kind of feel by the end it just kind of gets drowned out with all these overdub like synth parts, that sort of washy synth, and there's a piano bit going over the top of it. It's like you can tell he's recording this through the night, and at this point when he's starting to put those keyboard and synth overdubs, it's like, nah, go to bed, Prince. It's done. You don't need to do that. You don't need to put those extra chords in. And there's some weird beatboxing at the end, which kind of ends with him, I don't know, is it climaxing or falling asleep? I can't tell, but it's kind of creepy. Yeah, so (laughs) it's not quite the... This is the new thing from musicology that I perhaps was originally hoping for, but I remember like really liking it at the time. But I just don't think it closes well. I think it's really awesome for like two minutes and then it just kind of goes a bit over the top with the keyboard synth overdubs and it kind of changes it from more of a funky song to kind of a darker song. And I, I just think, uh, no, I should have just kept it light and funky. But anyway, it's a really good song, a worthy B-slide slash non-album track to listen to. Did you just say B-slide? B-slide. <laughs> You might have said B-slide, but we know what you meant. <laughs> Isn't it B-slide? Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. 
the B-Slide podcast. Captain, what are your thoughts on this one? Okay, this song, again, as far as we know, all instruments and vocals by Prince. The thing with this track is, like someone said, it might not be mastered that well or mixed that well. It was a very quick turnaround because at the most, this song was six weeks old when he released it. Because Musicology Tour finished September 11th or something from memory. This came out 30th of October. So at the most, he'd only worked on this. He'd only had this track for six weeks. But all instruments are vocals by Prince. But there's also talk that Michael B and Sonny T could have been on this session. So Because that laugh at the start, it's to me, it sounds like Sonny. I don't know. But that means it could have been recorded a fair bit earlier, possibly around even 1999 when he was recording stuff with them. Mm? Drums don't sound like Michael Bland to me at all. They're not smashing like Michael B. Well, I mean, they sound like Prince trying to sound like John Blackwell. And I mean that in in a very, that's not a diss. That's the compliment. You know, he sounds very Mm. close to John Blackwell. But I agree with you too, Jim. But I do know that after the Musicology Tour, he did get in Sonny T and Michael B and they worked between Musicology and 3121. And in fact, I think uh, that's how those guys got on 3121. So yeah, Mm. they were involved. So maybe, I don't know, maybe... They were lurking around or... From what I've seen, it's recorded September, October 2004. It sounds pretty similar to me to all that Chocolate Invasion Slaughterhouse stuff. So it could be from like 99, 2000, or it could be from 2004. Who knows? He could have pulled it out of the vault from four years ago and tinkered with it a bit and then put it out as a new track. I mean, it was new to us, so who knows? Anyway, the song, it's got some cool bass throughout, which is nice to hear, along with the synth bass as well. Everyone's already said the time, it's 122, you got that cool change with the organ coming in, all the hand claps and the bass really starts going off then. 201, there's another change, and yeah, that's that's the great organ solo there and the bass going off again. And then it's guitar solo time at 220. It's a good solo, and we've mentioned before that he usually kept his really crazy stuff crazy solos for live shows but he didn't put that much onto studio tracks but this one is pretty good for what he put down on a studio track and there is a cool part at 241 in the guitar solo it's very similar to a line that he played in a song that's on the undertaker vhs i can't remember which song exactly but it's a very similar line which also makes me think Sonny T and Michael B were there. And for a second, he just slipped back to 93 and started playing the same guitar solo. It's interesting. And then at three minutes, you got the breakdown. Bass comes back in. Guitar keeps going. Little drum solo. Toe Jam said he didn't like the end of it. I think that outro riff that starts at 3.30 is great. It's, um, it's got a cool bass line. And then another guitar solo comes in. And then that changes into something else altogether before going back to the main riff. It's really cool. And I think Tojam said there's a little beatbox on the fade out. That's cool. But it's definitely an odd little track. But it's something I don't listen to, but maybe I should listen to more. Just for the guitar solo, I think. And the organ solo. And the bass. That's all good. The end. Maybe you can resequence Musicology and put it in somewhere. It's already on a resequence version of Musicology. It's all good. (laughs) Uh, Captain. Let's move on to your track. What did you choose? See, I shouldn't have gone last there because now it's just more of me talking. People hate that. (laughs) I do. Okay. (laughs) My song was released on the 19th of March, 1996 on a soundtrack album for a Spike Lee movie called Girl 6. And the song is called Don't Talk to Strangers. Don't talk to strangers. 
This song was originally recorded in April 1992 in Melbourne at Platinum Studios as part of the I'll Do Anything project. And it was on the Girl 6 soundtrack album for the Spike Lee movie. Now, this song, compared to so many other Prince songs, which have all the bells and whistles and all the stuff that he spends all the time on, this is a very basic song. And I think like most of those I'll Do Anything tracks, they were just basic tracks because other people were going to sing them later anyway. And like even the music for this is fairly basic. There's no cowbell. There's no all fancy things. <laughs> Don't talk to strangers with cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> you could have added it. You never know. Yeah. Resequenced like, remix, yeah. <laughs> like the song itself, it's, I don't know if you'd call it a ballad, but it's all mostly falsetto except for a bit of talking at the end. And yeah, the music... The music, there's a few cool chords in the chorus and I haven't got any instruments so I couldn't figure out exactly what they were. But there's a chord he plays in the chorus right when he says, make everything all right. That chord he hits on make is just cool. It might just be a seventh, but it sounds really cool. And then another cool chord when he says, wait, and I don't know what that is. But as much as it's a basically tracked song, there's some cool chords on there. Uh, The piano sound sounds very similar to Empty Room which was re-recorded, I think, around the same time as this, mm, along with all the other I'll Do Anything stuff. Good find, like good little connection you made there. And this song was later re-recorded in late 97 for inclusion on Chaka Khan's album Come To My House, which mm. is a good album. Go and listen to that. I, I like the songs from this era, the stuff from the I'll Do Anything project and half the songs on The Vault, Old Friends For Sale. They're all very similar style. And there's just something about them I like. And that's all I'm going to say. The end. Player, what are your thoughts on this track? I have to disagree. I I could never get into this song, ever. It's all a bit light and fluffy and I don't know, like, like it doesn't seem like a Prince song. I always scratch my head as to like, you know, the thought process behind the song. And all I can think of it is he's written it within the context of the I'll Do Anything movie. Yeah. And I've never seen that movie. So I don't know anything about the storyline or whatever, but I can only assume that, I mean, obviously he did write it for that movie, but I don't know how it correlates to the storyline. So it must, you know, that's how the connection is. Because I'm confused by the lyrics and the message is that, you know, you think it's sung to like a partner, but it's sung to a child and you realize that as, as it goes along. And, and it's like, but like, why are they leaving? You know, like, why is a parent leaving? It? Like, it's just, I just could never get it. And then, like you said, you know, it was given to Shaka Khan. And I remember she, she sings this at one of the concerts and she goes into a monologue before singing the song about going on tour and leaving the kids behind and missing all their first milestones, like getting baby teeth and all this sort of stuff. So I can only imagine like she related to this song in certain ways because I don't see it as a song that Prince would actually give to Shaka Khan in the sense that it does nothing vocally for her. Like it's not a song that she's going to belt out. It's not one of those kind of songs. Because it's like, you know, even in the Prince version, like it's sung very quietly and there's whispering stuff. It's not like a song that you would associate with Shaka Khan. So I can only think that Shaka's used the song because she likes it or she relates to it in some way. And it's just... Yeah, she might have heard it on the Girl 6 soundtrack and then 
talk to Prince yeah. later and she's like, hey, I want to do that that song. Yeah. And he's like, what? <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. Like, because from 92, 93, that was the genesis of the song. And then it ends up in 96 on Girl 6. And then in 98, it's on Come to My House. Mm. So between like 92 and 98, like that whole period, it just seems to be floating around this song. It's just kind of like there. I do like on the Shaka Khan version, there's a little guitar solo. Obviously, that'd be Prince. And that's a really cool addition to that song. Mm. But just, I don't know. There's just, every time I hear that little darling, that opening line, I reach for the skip straight away. Bang, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> Gotta go now. <laughs> I know what you mean, though. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a Prince song. Like, we know no, he doesn't. wrote it specifically to fit, you know, some scene in the movie. So in that way, it's just weird anyway, because we don't know the context of it. Yeah. But yeah, it's it does seem a bit weak i can see why people would see it that way yeah and also too i mean like i'm going down a, a dark road here but like because prince Go, didn't do have, didn't have children himself that's another thing that kind of uh hmm, what's the word i'm looking for like hard to make a connection with it like i don't it didn't emotionally resonate with him. Well, yeah, like I can't connect with the song because it's like I don't believe in what he's saying because mm. do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? He didn't either. <laughs> yeah. I really hate going down this road and that's why because one, because I don't know how it sits and the others, it, it's kind of like a touchy subject as well. Yeah, it's just uh, everything about this song, I just I don't like it. Not because it's bad or anything. It's just it doesn't kind of sit well with me. And it's just everything on every level, musically, lyrically, mm-hmm. everything. It's just, I mean, I guess anyone could sing it to a child, basically saying kind of like, watch yourself in life, you know, look out for things and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I just, yeah, I just, uh, no, I'm done with this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Toe Jam. Can you save it? Uh, I don't know if I can save the song itself. It's not a terrible song. It's nice sentiment. I mean, it's actually kind of sad. You know, I, to me, I hear the song about a parent leaving their child and they're saying, you know, I've got to go now and you're on your own kind of thing. It's kind of a sad song in that respect, uh, even though it's sort of played in this sort of nursery rhyme kind of music. Um, the bass like starts on the three, like the third note of the scale, mm. uh, which is kind of weird. Like normally that'd be like the second chord, but it's like straight up on the three. And then it hits the one on the chorus, which kind of relieves it a bit. So there's a bit of tension in the verse. Mm. Um, and then when it gets to the chorus, the chorus is kind of fast, like the vocal, you know, so I'm not sure if that kind of works. It kind of seems a bit odd to me, but you know, he sings falsetto the whole way through. And then right at the end, he goes to his full voice and it's quite, it's quite confronting where he's like, you know, I got to go now. Like it is, it is a little bit emotional. I think, I think there's something maybe more to it than that. He's just writing this song, but I don't want to overdo it. I don't want an electric intercourse. It. I mean, it's not a great song overall. It is a bit sparse. It is. It's <laughs> I, the moment I hear it. I see Oprah Winfrey. Like it's a very Oprah Winfrey kind of song. I don't know why, but it's that, it it's is that, yeah, you know, you're time, right. it's that place. It's that era. Touched I mean, I would love to or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I would love to. I've tried a few times, but I never got around to it. Maybe this is the job for Rob S. A resequenced. So someone needs to put together an album of you know this these songs from like stuff like Sweet Baby, uh, stuff like this one, stuff like um, the other I'll Do Anything songs, like The Rest of My Life, mm. and uh, stuff like When the Lights Go Down, like stuff like this. These kind of acoustic full band recordings with just the rhythm section of the MPG without all the rapping and the, the hip hop scratches stuff, these acoustic kind of songs that they would do now and then like willing and able songs like that, like that could be a really killer album, you know, so that 92 era band 
putting all those sort of acoustic songs together because they are very good songs. Prince's vocal are always nice on them. They're always, always nice and fresh. The piano always sounds good. Like that's a project that maybe the estate can consider, like an album of the, that material. Um, are you done actually? Or... Yeah, I think I've finished. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> so there's a few things about this track that don't speak to me and there's a couple of things that kind of do. Tojo mentioned one of them, I think, about um, – you know, maybe this is from a personal place and all this sort of stuff. But I'm more inclined to agree with player on this in the sense that this is a song that is a bit odd and awkward to listen to. It's it's weird. There's conviction in Prince's delivery, but it's not like I don't fully believe him. Like every time he sings every line, I'm kind of with him and I'm kind of not. And it's like, Mm. I'm kind of taking him seriously, but I'm kind of not. And I wonder how much of that had to do with the fact that it was attached to the film. In other words, you know, was this a piece of music that was inspired by whatever the screenplay was or was a request made for this sort of... That's that's what it was. It was like, this is the scene. This is what's happening. Write a song. The only way I can reconcile it in my head is he's singing it from the character's perspective. That must be, yeah, that must be. Yeah, that's the only way because I can't believe it as him. And the unfortunate thing is, is the song was released without that connection to the movie. Like the fans know it is, but if you're listening to it on its own, uh, I don't know don't what other people would think, but I would think it's odd. Well, it's it's even more odd when you think of the Chaka, Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan version um, released in 1998 on her Come To My House album because yeah. Prince would have had to introduce that song to her. I doubt that she had heard it was from there. But, so he must have thought something of the song to introduce it to another artist, which again begs the question, was it purely written to serve the scene, which is what Captain says, which I've got no reason to not believe that, but I just wonder about some of the things that are in the song and whether or not they're from Prince's personal experience and we may never find out. But that's the first thing that's a bit wishy-washy and a bit I to and fro on it. The other thing is that the music is a bit, I don't know, it's... It's basic tracks. There's no bells and whistles. It's just like, let's get this down. Drums, it, piano. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's done. This song sounds like anyone else. To Captain's point, it's basics and it's bare and it it sounds like a song that could have been done by almost anyone else, I think. Pretty much anyone else, I should say, because there's not a whole lot going on melodically. Like, it's very childish, I'll say. The melody is very childish and very pop light which again serves the movie possibly, but I don't know that it stands alone as a Prince composition. If anything, as a redeeming it, quality, it shows that Prince can write middle-of-the-road pedestrian ballad. If his goal was to write a song which doesn't sound like Prince, then job done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he met the, the, the brief, brief that he was given. <laughs> but to be brief about this track, because I haven't got too much more to say. So first thing is his falsetto, I think, doesn't work on this track. Tojem talked about later on in the track, he uses his normal register. And I do agree that it is the difference between the falsetto for the most part and then that mid register or his natural register, it kind of uh, gets your attention, raises the eyebrows. And it, it is an interesting effect, but I don't know. I think Prince's falsetto singing, for whatever reason, suits sensual songs, ballads that are about, well, sensual things, love making, getting it on, that sort of stuff. Perfect. But anytime he uses his falsetto voice to do 
a song and that it's either political in nature or this one where it's a little bit, maybe not social, but it's kind of erring on the side of, I don't know, family relations or family, you know, providing advice to a child and all that sort of stuff to play as early as comments. I don't know, this song, it's executed well. Let me put it that way. But as far as if would this be something that I would ever voluntarily listen to had we not been doing this podcast, I would say no. <laughs> I really wouldn't. What I will say, just to conclude my thoughts, our Chaka's version is the version. I think it's the one that that works best. I think her voice on it provides the conviction that it needs and uh, it still doesn't really change the music that much, but... um. She's quite good. I'm a, I'm a big fan of hers. So. She's quite good, I must say. I must say, Shaka Khan. The two things with the Prince version is, one, it's basically a demo. You can tell he hasn't done anything to it. He probably recorded that, like uh, these other things, in a couple hours and that, that was it. The other thing is, we weren't meant to ever hear him singing it. It was meant, mm. if the whole concept of I'll do anything being a musical wasn't scrapped and the movie came out as a musical, it would have been characters singing all these songs. Prince not involved Prince's voice at all. So that's the other weird thing. And it's when this came out on this album with him singing it, I'm just like, oh, wow, this is one of those songs from that thing that never happened. It must be used It must be used in the Girls 6 movie at some point, though, right? Oh, the Girls 6 movie, possibly, yeah. It must I'm be in there. about the I, I'll, I'll Do Anything movie, though. Yeah, I know, but it just hit me that I watched that movie years and years ago. But I don't remember in there somewhere. hearing that song. Yeah, it must I be remember. Uh, it was probably on like someone playing it in the car as they drove past <laughs> someone <laughs> talking. Forgive me if we've already mentioned this, but has anyone seen I'll Do Anything? No. 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 Okay, I haven't either. I just wanted to confirm that. I'd be curious to watch it just for the fact of watching it, thinking what was the original intention mm. behind it. Yeah. How dare us review this song without watching that film? The weird thing is the... A lot of the versions are out there. All the Prince versions are out there. Plus, I think the characters singing the versions are out there as well. Mm. With like Nick Nolte and bloody some woman, you know, singing the songs. It's weird. Nick Nolte. <laughs> Little darling. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go now. Hilarious. Nick, I shout think out one to reason- Nick Nolte. Man, he was a classic back in the day. Man, I think <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time we're going to ever shout out Nick Nolte on a Prince podcast. <laughs> Hey, don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. Oh, he's six degrees of separation. Yeah. yeah. Prince to Nick Nolte. I'll do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe these days. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think one of the reasons why I like this song is because it is like a, you know, inverted commas, musical sort of song. And I like like these cheesy musical songs. And this is sort of veering in that direction. So I think that's one reason why. I like it more than I would if it wasn't that style. Anyway. I think that's the reason why I don't like it. I think he's he's writing very, very seriously. He's taking it very seriously, but it comes off cheesy. I don't mm. know. Like, he's, like, I think he's trying to write very maturely. Yeah, just, ah. Uh, Doesn't is come there off. Some, there's something about it. I just get, like, a bad vibe from the song. It's a weird thing to say, but the, every time I hear it, it's like mm. within the first couple of seconds i'm like oh my god where's the, where's the skip button i gotta hit it that's the bass starting off on the third and that's possibly those weird chords in the chorus as well yeah if you get that far the thing that player just mentioned that it just is really intriguing to me is that you said that he's trying to write like adult material mature material that's a really interesting observation because when you think about prince's catalog he's done material that is clearly 
for an adult audience plenty of times. I think the problem is he was directed to do something, you know, instead of it just coming naturally. He's like, you know, I can write a song about this. But then someone says, you need to write a song about this specific situation of which, you know, he has no experience. So, of course, it's going to come off a bit weird anyway. I don't know. I think Prince wasn't well suited to writing super serious, whether it be social, political, or even... I don't know, like to play his point, really mature type content that was very uh, grounded in real life, like real relationship type stuff. I don't know if I'm making sense, but it's like... Prince was good about writing about Prince in Prince world, not actual things that happen in the real world. Kind of, kind of something like that. And and maybe things on the peripheral as well. I think he's got some brilliant music about relationships between people. He's clearly got some great rela- uh, great songs about sexual, spiritual relationships, that sort of stuff he does quite well. Party songs, kills it. Funny songs, pretty good at that. Funkiness, you know, just having a good time. And, and, and there, are, there are other examples of music that he does as well. But when it comes down to sitting down with the paper and pen and putting something together that is like, straight from the heart about something really, I was going to say mundane, but in reality, just kind of like simple life, simple living. I think he maybe struggled with that. And the more I think about it, it wasn't in my notes, but the lyrics in this song is very cliche. That's what I wanted to say. It's cliche. This song just reeks. And maybe player, that's why you have a bit of a weird reaction to it is because it is very cliche in its formation. It's like, what would a parent say? And again... Again, it's cliche because it's it's a musical thing, and a lot of musicals have a lot of cliches, and it had to fit that sort of thing. And we are but we are unforgiving. <laughs> I think above all, it comes down to Prince is not a guy who you can direct to tell hmm. him what to do. That's why you said when you said you know he might have been the best suited person to write a musical, which was somebody else's vision. Yeah. He did stuff which was his vision, and that's yeah. Prince music. Him trying to write someone else's thing, I think that's where it went a bit wrong. Yeah. Ultimately, could have been the whole reason that I'll Do Anything movie as a musical got such bad previews, and they just scrapped the entire idea. Yeah. It probably resonated with everyone as like, that's just, there's something not right about that. Well, it wasn't not- Nick Nolte, because he ended up being in the film, so it must have been the music. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, it was go. it was the test audiences. Apparently, yeah. they Instead slowly they slowly removed the Prince music. Every time they removed a bit of Prince music, the scores got better in the test previews until all of his music was removed, and then it got like the highest score or something. Hmm. That's so dumb when you think about it, though, because it was a musical. Mm. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's remove all the music, and oh wow, look, it got better reviews. But that's all not right, a musical. That's it. That's so weird. This weekend, I'm watching I'll Do Anything. I'm sitting down on the couch, making myself a cheese sandwich, and I'm going to watch Nick Nolte in I'll Do Everything. (laughs) Anything, I mean. (laughs) This is what everyone should do. Find the original Prince tracks for I'll Do Anything. Listen to those. I think it's about eight songs. Then listen to them a few times. Then go and watch the movie and you'll probably see the scenes relate to the songs because they were written specifically for certain sections. Like there probably is a scene in the movie where, you know, someone's got to say goodbye to a kid or something and you're going to be like, oh, wow, that's that. Don't don't say that because Rob will resequence the fucking movie. <laughs> He'll put the songs back in. He'll put the songs back in. <laughs> 
<laughs> Don't let him touch it. I just wanted to be known. I am only an I'm an audio only resequencer. Take take that editing stuff to the professionals. Give it to Kevin on, Smith. You'll be there going, man. Yeah, I reckon Come I could on, put the music baby. in this. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you can't help yourself. You'll be you'll be putting me You'll start resequencing movies now. Oh man, you give me too many ideas. All right, let's finish with us with with a bang. Let's finish strong. Let's, let's bring it on. home with, in a car. Bring it all home. Bring it all home. Let's do it. Last track, final track. Let's take it all the way back. Player, what did you choose? So I'm driving this home in a little red Corvette. Ooh. The dance mix. <laughs> Darling, there are some things that I want to do to you. So you'll never Oh, this is the dance mix. Okay. Uh, so this is sort of appeared on, uh, I guess, when the single came out. Captain, fill us in on the releases. It was on 12-inch vinyl where it would have yes. come out originally. There was also an edit of the dance mix, which would have been on a 7-inch single. And then there was that German CD single sometime in the late 80s, I think. Yep. 9th of February, 1983 was when the 12-inch was first released to the public. Also mm. on the Ultimate, it was on CD again there. Yes. So technically it is an album track, but we're reviewing it as a Nomad album track. Compilation's not an album. That's just there you go. silliness. <laughs> so this has been released in some sort of fashion. And yeah, let's get into it. So I got to say, like, I like Little Red Corvette, the song, as it is anyway, but this kind of just kicks it to a whole new level. It's extended. The intro's extended. It's got the intro, that kick drum, so dope. And the ethereal synth pads, they're really haunting. I could loop those two instruments, that like that first 20 seconds or whatever it is over and over. It's really cool. It runs through the release version of the track with some minor overdubs here and there until about 2.12 and that's where it comes in with some pretty dirty guitar licks and bass and some Oberheim sprinkled in there, synth bass. But that section from about 2.12 to about 3.29 um, sounds like a post-production splice cut in with the blade. I mean, like, I'm not saying it's a bad edit, but it's a noticeable edit in the sense of the dynamic levels. Like I can hear the volume levels change in that in those sections. So like the transitions are quite smooth. I think they've done a good job to a degree in that regard, but I can hear where there's changes just because the volume sort of fluctuates up and down and it's like oh okay that's that sounds a bit weird at 520 you have another bass line that's overdubbed and that's really cool it works within the song it gives it a whole new dimension and at 704 there's a second bass line that comes in and that intertwines with it and it's just full-on funk for your ears it's just it's just really cool alternative extended version of the track i mean everyone i think most people love little red corvette the song and it's just like another kind of dimension you know he yells that mayday stuff and he takes it to kind of new dimensions it's a, it's a really cool really cool track bang. bang all right all right all right toe jam <laughs> what are your thoughts on this little ditty well it's not a little ditty at all goddamn extended and remix um the album version little red corvette is like one of the best songs written by anyone ever uh, it's just an amazing song lyrically, musically, emotively, performance-wise. It's just perfect, perfect pop song. I think yep. we said that when we did the 1999 yep. review. This is not better than it. This is like a different dimension of the song. Um, it is, yeah. 
an alternate reality. And it's um, it's fantastic on its own right. I mean, you can't say it's as good or better than the original. You can't. But it's bloody amazing. It's cool. Uh, you got that extra kick drum, which we're all going to talk about, which is the way they played it live, you know, on the Purple Rain Tour. When they played it, they had that extra beat in there on the kick drum. It's a bit distorted. Like, it seems like the levels have been changed a bit. The drums sound a bit more distorted. Everything sounds a bit more distorted. It's all uh, in the, the red, yeah. Guitars, Ooh. The rhythm guitars, to me, sound like they're generally a bit louder. You hear more of the, like, chugging going on, you know, them stroking the strings a bit more. Yep. As Play was saying, you got the edit at 220 and it breaks down and the bass comes in and then the extra guitar riff comes in, the synths come in and then the solo comes in and it's all kind of building up again. But it's uh, 520, that's, that's where it really starts to get real funky. Uh, the bass comes in with different notes, so it's changing the, the chords effectively by adding those, by changing into different notes. Mostly they're sort of relative notes, but it changes the sound of the chords, which is cool. And the sound of that bass too, I don't know if it's a if it's the Oberheim or a bass running through an effect, but it's, it's like a real squirty kind of sound. It's really cool. Uh, and then, you know, 640, you know, the slap bass comes in playing along with that Oberheim or bass line and Prince is singing about velvet sweat and all this. And it's like, at this point, it could be, it's a new song. It's a, it's, it's evolved into a new song to the point where Prince is saying Mayday. It's like, you know, what's going on? Where, 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 where are we taking this thing? It's so funky that the last few minutes, my God, that's just like, that's Minneapolis funk, like velvet sweat, just that imagery. It's what it is. It's so good. Just that authentic sound. So, yeah, I listened to this song just for those last few minutes. They're so, so funky. And I love the way it just kind of keeps that drum beat just pushing through all the way. So, yeah, it's a great uh, remix, one of the best. I have to agree with the last thing you said, Toe Jam, the last couple of minutes, because really I think the studio album version of Little Red Corvette is a masterpiece, classic song, classic pop song, and it's pretty much untouchable. And I also think that you're right in saying that it doesn't take the original song into any better place than the original. It takes it into some new places, but I don't think they're necessarily better or improved, just different. And yeah, the last couple of minutes is really cool. I do like that, as he was doing around the early 80s, I do like that the funky bass line, as funky as it is, is actually done on a, well, what I hear to be not a live bass, but you know, bass pads or bass programming. And it's so thick, like it's super, 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 super thick. It's thicker than a real bass ever could be, I think. Um, probably outside of an hearing Andrew Goucher playing, it's about as thick as a bass line can get. And that's the thing that really makes the song. It, it also reminds me a little bit of the, um, those last two and a half minutes remind me of the end of the extended version of Kiss. Of because it's just so silly and re mm. kind of ridiculous, yeah. With the Mayday stuff, and he's kind of like yelling out and doing weird screams, and the music's kind of really, really flippant and uh, very playful. And he's kind of he's having fun with it, and it's it's a bit ridiculous. And I could imagine Prince sitting down, adding those extra overdubs and extending and retracking some of it and remixing the song just in an afternoon. L literally just doing that and just going, oh yeah, I'm gonna. It almost sounds like the overdubs were recorded in one session or, or like in one afternoon or evening rather than him spending crazy amounts of time meticulously crafting this. It has that real like one and done vibe. But I hardly ever listen to this because I find it annoying. Like to play his point about the volume and the transition and stuff, 
it's not that great. I kind of agree with with uh, your comments there. I don't know. It's not as smooth. The transitions aren't as smooth as they could be. And the other thing is that I don't want to listen to, I think, until around the six or six and a half minute mark before it gets really funky and playful. I'd rather just listen to the five minute or, you know, four minute 58 version, a single track of this. So yeah, like it is a brilliant song, but I think for me, it'll never compare to the original. I, I, it might be, some people are probably listening to this going, what? You know, the extended version well, is I mean, the, the thing version. Is, thing is like the mix is a bit different and because we're all so familiar with that album version, that MTV mm. video version, we're so familiar with that mix that when you hear this mix, it's not a better mix, but because it's different, you hear different things. Like I was hearing little bits on the guitar runs and think I'm like, I never noticed that little slide before and stuff like that. It's just because you're not, it's you're hearing it in a different context. Mm. I think you're right. It's so familiar. The song Little Red Corvette is so familiar, even if you're not a Prince fan, and we're pretty deep or hardcore Prince fans. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. There's a, The contrast is, it's there, but it's, I don't know. That's the first point. The second point is the extended version, it's almost nine minutes long. Well, it's almost eight and a half minutes long, but to me, that's a really long extended remix. And I know we're not comparing this song to other remixed or extended versions, but this doesn't even crack my top 10 extended versions or remixed singles because it doesn't do enough, doesn't vary it enough. It doesn't introduce much new lyricism. And aside from those two minutes, it's almost a straight run through of the song, but it's just kind of been spliced and diced and, and reformatted and uh, rese- not resequenced, but remixed in a different way. But the thing is, and this is my overall comment, it's such a darn good piece of music that when I do hear it and when I played it in the car today, actually, I couldn't turn it off. So even though I do prefer the original, once it's on, you, and because you know it's coming towards the end, it's almost like you know, waiting for that explosion right at the end, for that eventual craziness that happens. And I think this song shows Prince's sense of humor. Little Red Corvette has no humor in it. Okay, let me rephrase. It's not an overly funny track. You know, there's the Trojan references and stuff. And yeah, that that line is is really funny, you know, pocket full of horses, blah, blah, blah. That's good. But aside from that, it's not a particularly humorous track, I don't think. Uh, it's playful, but it's not that humorous. But this one, those last two and a half minutes, it just kind of takes it into ridiculous territory, similar to a song like um, Wonderful Ass that was released on Purple Rain, what, in 2017 on the special edition and uh, things of that nature. I just think that's really, really, it's the kind of song this is. He, he kind of just put it together willy-nilly and it's a bit silly and that's about it. Uh, Captain, <laughs> let's see how many points we've covered that you were going to say. Probably oh, none. Oh my God. I have so many things to say about oh, this. Goodness. Okay, God, where do I even start? The interesting thing is that with many of Prince's extended mixes, some are new remixes or new recordings, but a lot of them are just the full version of the track. And whatever three or four minute version you heard on the album or on the radio was an edit of the original long track. And the engineer who spliced this recording up into eight or nine pieces of tape to make the album version, then got sent those eight or nine pieces of tape sent in a box months mm. later to recreate back to the uh, what is close to the original version. So there's, oh, there's so much to say. If you have the ultimate version from that release, my timings, which I'm going to say might be a bit off because I went on the version, which was the vinyl version and also on that CD single 
from whenever that came out. And also, the Ultimate version is different. The splices are fairly obvious on that. They have cleaned up those little edits. It's a lot less obvious than on the original versions that are on the vinyl. So, I'm going off the original version. Anyway, knowing that this original mix was patched back together from a bunch of tape sections which were cut up, you can actually hear the tape splices, which I love. There's one at 38 seconds, just before he starts singing. There's another one at 2.10, and they're so obvious on the vinyl versions. And you listen to the version on Ultimate, you can hardly hear it. On Ultimate, you hear a change because that's not where the album version changes. But on the versions which were on the vinyl and that CD single, you can hear like this tiny little cut and you can hear it where there was sticky tape holding that tape together. And it's hilarious to me that you can hear that. I think that's just, (laughs) I love it. It's so good. But look, it's a different mix. It's a very different mix. Like I hear a bunch of differences. I got so far into this. I listened to like every single version of Literate Covet I could find for like three hours this afternoon. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going to talk, so just get ready. That's why I'm going last on the last song, because I'm just going to talk. So, first of all, the bass is more prominent on this version. Listen yeah. at 122, and there's a really nice bass note at 124, which you can barely hear on the album version, but it's so much yeah. louder on this mix. And the guitar, like Jam, everyone said the guitar is louder. Like 140, there's that big slide down on the guitar, which, again, you can hear it on that on the album version, but it's so much louder on this mix. And oh, the keyboard during the chorus and in the guitar solo, it's a lot quieter on the dance mix. It's a lot louder on the album mix. So straight away, I like that. This song is just more guitar and less of the keyboard. So just for that, it's great to me. That's what and, I was saying about the fluctuating volume levels. Like, mm, you know, parts, it just, it's just kind of everywhere. Well, that's why this song is like, we, d- we never hear an alternate mix, mm. like an actual soundboard, you know, this volume is just changed slightly and this one's turned up. We never heard that from Prince tracks. You can hear like a remix, but that's done in a different way. We never hear alternative mixes from the soundboard of Prince tracks. That's why this is... A bit weird because yeah, it's it's, unique. it's, it's, it's unique. the song, but it's different. Yeah, And yeah, that's why some bits are just a bit strange to people. Like things you wouldn't really notice hearing the album version or this version occasionally, but you listen back to back, note for note, there's a lot of differences in the mix, which is really cool, I think. Like that cool synth bass part and that little plucky guitar part, 242 to 325, that's not on the original at all. Or if it is, it's so buried in the mix that it's unhearable. So that was either one of the overdubs or it just wasn't included on that original mix. And that cool synth bass that comes back in after the breakdown on the chorus, but it doesn't on the album version. Again, maybe it's buried or maybe that was an overdub. But there's so many things. There's a lovely little bass slide, 320 and 335. And that little plucking guitar in the breakdown where he's saying, you've got an ass like I've never seen. That little guitar, that's not on the album version at all. There are two great massive bass rundowns on the fret. One's at 459 to 501. There's another one just before the chorus, massive bass part, 511 to 513. It's so good. And you, it's on the album version, but it's so much better and louder on the dance mix. And someone mentioned the distortion. Overall, the album version has a little bit of distortion. We talked about that when we did it. But it seems less obvious to me on this version. Like, remember, this is the original version resurrected from pieces of tape. It was the album version that was mixed and mastered bloody hard into the red. But this one doesn't seem as bad. Like, I listened to those specific distorted bits on the album version. They sound better on the dance mix. 
and another tape splice, 325, where we go back to the album version and the guitar solo, but then you've still got these other things which you can hear which are not on the album version. It's so cool. I just listened to it so much. I'm almost done. Calm down. Yeah. Um, and so after running out rest of the album track, then you get back to that extended mix with the cool synth bass comes back again and some real bass. And that's the main parts that stand out from there until the end. And then he does a bit of beatboxing. I think Toe Jam said that's cool to hear. And and the last minute's basically instrumental. And I love the run out. It's just the Lindrum. So you can just hear how funky that thing is. That's another cool thing. There's nothing else. It's just that Lindrum beat going and going and just fades out and just goes forever. That is cool. That's all I've got to say. So obviously I like this track and that's all I've got to say. <laughs> 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 All right. Thanks for clearing that up, uh, that you're a fan. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that was a truly epic account of that track. <laughs> that was some serious, like, studio scholarly reconstruction. Oh. <laughs> and deconstruction. Craziness. Absolute craziness. Oh, man. Okay. What do we say now? Well, 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 well. We've reached the end of this particular episode Four tracks. I don't even, I haven't, I haven't looked at the time once, but it seems like we've uh, gone in deep as usual and uh, given uh, you guys food for thought, hopefully, our listeners, that is. And yeah, this has been volume five of Nat, non album tracks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this has been another episode of the Peach and Black podcast, and we are done. Any final thoughts and comments from the panel before we unplug our cables and Say goodnight. Mayday! <laughs> Emergency. Bye-bye. Bye bye. You've been listening to another classic Peach and Black podcast. Catch all our episodes at podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, Mixcloud, and all good podcast directories. Search for Peach and Black Podcast. You can continue your Peach and Black experience online. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The Peach and Black Podcast is written and produced by Rob S., Player, ToeJam, and Captain. Original theme music by ToeJam. Audio production and additional audio editing by Captain at Funky Temple Studios. Episode artwork by Reverend. Share our podcast with your friends and Prince fans. If you love our show, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. You can contact the Peach and Black Podcast by email at peachandblackpodcastofficial at gmail.com. <laughs>